Hey everyone, welcome to Radically Normal. This is Andre, and per usual, I'm here with Mike as we dive into Mark. On today's episode, we'll be talking about John the Baptist, Jesus' temptation and baptism, as well as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We hope you guys enjoy the discussion. You know, it's been months since we said how if we were having someone come to Texas who hadn't been to the Dallas Metroplex before, we would take them to Heart 8, and ever since then I've been craving Heart 8, and I haven't gone once. You know, you know Mike, that's a that's a good attempt at, you know, just like setting me up a, on a lob like I try to do for you, but the point of that is that one of us finally got the opportunity to bring someone to Heart 8 who's never had it before, unfortunately, because of COVID and all that stuff, didn't go inside, just pre-ordered it, and funny part about it and the reason why why I'm saying it more so than just saying that we went to heart eight is that while we were there uh you know you kind of call early they tell you you know come in 30 minutes we show up with my whole family and with the person who's who's visiting us from out of state and then kind of just waiting on the food and and my dad kind of goes maybe I should just call them and, and you know find out uh what's going on because we, we're seeing other people that are that are pulling up after us getting their food and i'm like dad dad don't don't call them they're gonna spit in our food and he goes okay fine i won't call he waits another five or ten minutes and is like okay maybe i will call now at this point he calls and 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 the lady goes well, where are you and he goes well I'm in, I'm in parking spot six like i told you earlier and you know poor lady's been walking around the, the entire building several times and goes i don't think we have a, a parking spot six for pickup and my dad goes, well, where are you? This is the colony location, right? And she goes, no, this is Coppell. <laughs> and to make a long story short, we ended up having to reorder and wait another 30 minutes, unfortunately. But the food was still superb, superb barbecue. So was, your friend who came for the first time, did she like it? No, she she very much liked it. It, it was very good. And I hadn't had it in a while. And, you know, barbecue from Heart 8 is just top notch. Oh, top notch for sure. Yeah, I need to go there soon. And... But on a more positive note, since I haven't been there, I am pumped to dive into Mark chapter 1 because in last week's episode, we just spent time talking about the kingdom of God and different themes in Mark, hidden identity of Jesus and other things. And now we actually get to start looking at what the Holy Spirit has for us through the uh, writer of John Mark, Peter's interpreter. So here we begin, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now now we start, you know, as we're starting off... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, as Mike said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the gospel of Mark, which a lot of people argue is, is really the gospel of Peter because, you know, he's the one that, that kind of gave information to, to John Mark to, to write about. But we, the first thing we see is, is, uh, is, uh, is about, a, uh, about a prophecy uh, written in, in Isaiah. And I know that last week we had, a, we had a lot of history, but now there's just like a tad more to really just relate the rest of the story of the Old Testament to what's going on here. And there's a lot of really good stuff that Mike and I want to talk about, just relating a lot of the Old Testament prophecies and a lot of what the Old Testament says about the coming of Jesus and the fulfillment of, of uh, you know, God's plan through Jesus and through the crucifixion and how all this is really just setting up Mark to really be um, a gospel that just, just shows how it all points to the cross. Exactly. So it might seem odd that you read in verse 1, hey, I get to learn about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then Mark just jumps straight into talking about Isaiah the prophet. And what's actually weird here is that the verse, the verses that he provides about sending a messenger before your face who's going to prepare the way, the, one, the voice crying in the wilderness, this is more actually a blend of a verse from Exodus 23 and a verse from Malachi 3 about... Um, 
Essentially, in, in Exodus 23, with a promise of the land, I'll send an angel before you on the way to guard you, to bring you to the place I've prepared for you, and then a warning of judgment in Malachi 3. But in Isaiah chapter 40, which is what, what Mark is really bringing out to you, is a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a, a highway for our God. That's Isaiah 40 verse 3. So Mark is framing up his whole gospel, like I kind of hinted at in the intro to Mark. He's framing up or giving a framework to his whole gospel through the lens of Isaiah. Isaiah 40 kicks off a brand new section in Isaiah that is about that is about hope, not judgment to exile, but hope and return and kingship and uh, the reign of God returning to Israel. It's from a perspective after the exile, just like Nehemiah was after the exile, and Israel can return home. So just like in Exodus, when Israel was brought out of Egypt, Mark is framing up this through John the Baptist saying, this is the new Exodus. And this is what's going on in Isaiah 40 through 55, where there's this announcement of hope and God's servant king is going to lead the way and the servants of Israel and the followers of Christ are going to inherit this kingdom and it's going to bless all the nations. And I think a really cool part about this and about how this fulfillment of prophecy, I think that just from the perspective of Mark and from the perspective of Peter, as, as they're, they're, they're going about this, this is supremely important to them to set this up this way. And I think one of the reasons why is because they're just holding, like holding close and holding dear to the, the prophecies of old and how those are being fulfilled and how, God keeps his word to them and how God keeps his word um, to his people and how the things that Jesus told them are important and how they just really have confidence in this because of, of the commitment of God to them and to his, his promises. And I think that in this time when they were being persecuted, they're really just holding, holding on to that, holding on to the promises of the spirit, holding on to the promises of, of the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. And he's setting it up in a way how he's saying, look, God is going to hold true to what he says. And th that's why we're going about and, and spreading the gospel and spreading the good news. Exactly. And it's interesting because as we begin to think about the good news, although verse one is about Jesus, verse four, when the story begins after we talk about Isaiah the prophet, it's not Jesus, it's John. So John sees Israel as though they're in judgment, as though they're in exile, which is why he's going to proclaim their need to repent. If you're familiar with John the Baptist's role, he, he often is saying, two people that are listening to him, you need to repent, and there is one coming after me. What do you think that we should be thinking about as we look at John the Baptist? You know, I just think John the Baptist is, is great. Unfortunately, in Mark, we don't get those vivid, the vivid imagery of, you know, of, of, of John the Baptist living out in the desert and the things he's eating and, and you know, his lifestyle and all that, which is, is always something really cool about, you know, Bible studies growing up and all that. But one cool thing that I see, you know, just looking over to verse 7 is when he says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You know, that's really cool to me because later on, even in, in, in chapter 1, but, but more so in, in the rest of Mark, as Jesus is giving parables or, or he's talking to his disciples or um, just maybe the Pharisees or the scribes or, or whoever, and a lot of times, you know, uh, he asks, like, who, who am I? Especially, you know, Peter gets it right, but a lot of times other people didn't. And he asks them, who do they think I am? And some people, a common response is, you know, uh, this is the, the ghost of John the Baptist who was imprisoned and, and, and later killed. So, you know, they're saying this is John the Baptist risen or this is John the Baptist, the ghost. And it's really interesting because as they attribute these things 
uh, to John the Baptist and not to Jesus. It just shows how hardened some people's hearts are to, you know, just see Jesus right in front of them, see the miracles, um, see Jesus preach. Um, we see later on in chapter one, how Jesus is, has the authority over, over many things, how he is God, how, you know, he's the fulfillment of prophecy. And they still want to attribute this to someone else who John the Baptist, a respected uh, preacher and someone who came in and baptized and told them to repent. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I. He's giving a, a differentiation between himself and Jesus, showing how much greater Jesus is than him. And still they're confusing it, even as it's coming from someone who's, who's so respected. Andre's going to roll his eyes at me because he knows I love Elijah's story in First and Second Kings. But Elijah is... So when they're thinking about John the Baptist and they're thinking about Jesus and the identity of both, are you Elijah, they ask him uh, in, in John and in other places. There's an important connection between Elijah and John because Jesus is going to say how, how John is this refigurement or is this uh, – John the Baptist is basically prefiguring the Messiah and Jesus who is also God. And so what's interesting though is you see in verse uh, – Verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt and all that. That is imaging 2 Kings chapter 1 when they identify Elijah as the one who had a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. So there is this identification of John the Baptist with Elijah. But what's significant is in the Old Testament, it wasn't thought that Elijah was going to be preparing the way for the Messiah only, but the but preparing the way for the the arrival of God. And that's who Jesus is. God is arriving and pronouncing the kingdom uh, as a human. And, you know, John the Baptist, what did he do? He baptized people. And, you know, here comes Jesus on the scene and what happens? You know, he baptizes Jesus. And there's, there's this, this is like, honestly, one of the coolest parts about chapter one is, is when Jesus is baptized. And, and one thing that I saw is just, you know, I was thinking at the end when, it, when, when the voice comes from heaven, the voice of God, and it says, you are my beloved son with who I am well pleased, you know, as Christians, we want to we want to emulate Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to to strive to be to be more like Him. And you know, one interesting thing about that is, as we want to emulate Jesus, one thing is we want to have God be well pleased with us. You know, and I thought that was just a really cool part of that. And then as I was you know telling Mike about that, he kind of go he kind of said you know you know go back a second, look at all the rest of the stuff going on, from verse nine to verse ten and verse 11, and there's a bunch of other cool connections that, that we can make about the Spirit descending like a dove and, and about a bunch of other things going on here. And this, it was just really cool for me to hear for the first time, and it's not really something that, I, that I'd ever heard before. But, you know, go off of, off of that and, uh, you know, give a, a few of those uh, same comparisons you were giving to me. Yeah, so one of my favorite things is biblical theology, which isn't theology that's biblical, although it is, it's just how does God's idea and plan of redemption unfold through the story of scripture. So there's a lot of comparisons we can think about when we're talking about Jesus's baptism. If we think about Genesis chapter one, God forming creation through waters of chaos, these waters of judgment that are problematic, God bringing order to the chaos. And there's the spirit hovering over the waters who's also associated with a dove. And then in Genesis six through nine with the recreation story after the flood and Noah's ark, we see that the dove is sent up by Noah to see if there's dry land. And Noah in the ark is, is uh, not that he's a an actual Christ then, but that he, he is a prefiguring or a shadow of Christ who also is going to give safe passage through judgment. 
And just like Moses and Exodus out of bondage and into liberty with God, and like Joshua who led Israel across the river and into the land, Jesus leads his people into an entire earth of promise that's going to be consummated with new heaven and new earth. And then if we're just looking contextually at Mark's gospel, we see how the baptism and the judgment that's in the waters, you think of Peter saying how the baptism is... Uh, we see the idea of the baptism in the judgmental waters in Noah's day. Just like that, we see the echo of the baptism in Jesus's crucifixion because the heavens are, remember, we've been talking about in Mark's intro, in our, our intro to Mark about how uh, Jesus is the king who is crucified, that you don't expect the king to be crucified, but the, the, the cross is Jesus's enthronement. At the crucifixion, the, hev- the curtain is torn. There's a cry from the cross, and Jesus has declared the Son of God. At the baptism, the heavens are torn, a voice comes from heaven, and Jesus is declared the Son of God. So if we're thinking about Isaiah again, I, you're gonna, we're going to have to understand Isaiah to understand Mark, which sounds like a lot, but there's just such a beautiful picture. Isaiah 42, verse 1, My servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I've put my spirit in him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. This is Jesus. This is what the baptism scene is echoing. And this is Jesus' anointing as king. And I I just said, you know, this is his anointing as king. What's the next thing that happens? You know, Jesus, we know, is he's man and he's God, you know. And the next part is kind of, it's, it's highlighting the part about how, how he's man, but also how, how he is different than us because it says that he, the, the next part is the temptation of Jesus. And he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and basically he's tempted by Satan as, as we all are, you know, but he's perfect. He, he does, he doesn't, he does no evil. He, he's, he's, um, there's no blemish against him. He's, he's the perfect sacrifice. And, and, and this just shows how, you know, Jesus endured the, the, the temptation of, of Satan uh, just like we do, but but we fail, but Jesus does not. And the really cool thing about this, that another thing that we talked about before is, is how, you know, us going, us going through the wilderness and going through the, through the desert, we always fail, but Jesus didn't. And it's really cool to think about how, how, you know, that, that's what make, that's what set Jesus apart. That's what made Jesus, um, the King that was crucified, but that's why he needed to take our place. That way we could be justified in the eyes of God. Yeah, that's so good. That's what author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 2 and 4 when he says how we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are, but he didn't succumb to that temptation. He uh, became victorious over it. And it's interesting, Andre, that you said how essentially that when we're in the wilderness, we fail, but, but Jesus embodied obedience it's just like Israel, and this is what the, the 40 days and the 40 nights is echoing. G, uh, Israel spending 40 years in the wilderness, now Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. But Israel grumbled against God, created idols, and was not faithful. Jesus is completely faithful to God. And as we see in Matthew 4 or Luke 4 with a more drawn-out uh, account of Jesus' temptation, Jesus is rooted in the Word of God and knows his identity as the Son of God. And now, basically, Jesus is ready to go on and start his ministry. You know, he's going to start speaking in, in parables. He's going to start doing a, a bunch of uh, miracles. And the cool thing about Mark is it kind of just goes, you know, from from like miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle. Yeah, very fast. He gets right to the point. Yeah, it gets right to the point of, of Jesus having authority over 
over everything that 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 humans don't have authority over and we see um we see three or four examples right here in, in chapter one um but before that happens jesus begins calling his disciples and i think that's really cool because you know there's the 12 disciples and there's an account of, of a few of them here in chapter one and how they begin to, to follow after jesus and and first he he goes to um simon and andrew and, you know they're fishing and he basically asks them to, to leave their nets and then when he goes later he, he he goes to james and john and he tells them to leave his fa- leave their father you know, I thought that was like two really, really cool and very interesting examples because to the first group, he tells them, you know, leave your jobs and follow me. And to the second two, he says, leave your families, leave your lifestyle. It talks about how they, how they had servants and it says basically you leave your lifestyle, leave your status, leave your family to the others, leave your job, leave your financial security. And then he says, come and follow me to the first. He says, follow me and I'll make, I'll make you become fishers of men. And, you know, Jesus is telling them that as we, we, we want to follow him and emulate him. We can't really hold on to our jobs. We can't hold on to our lifestyles. Um, and sometimes we have to leave our families. And, you know, that's really interesting to me because, you know, especially during these times, we, we can't really be like so focused or have all of our joy stored in these things. We need to have our joy st- um, put in into, into Christ's relationship with him. And just as he told them to leave their jobs and leave their families, you know, they didn't really question leaving everything behind and following him. Whereas we see other people at different stories or different parables in the Bible, you know, they question leaving their belongings or leaving their, their earthly treasures or leaving their money or not putting their money first. You know, they question that and, and you know, they, they stumbled in that, but the disciples didn't, you know, they didn't really question it and they just really just left everything and, and followed after Jesus. And I thought that was just a really beautiful picture that was painted here in Mark that we could really just like attribute and like just look to ourselves and really just like, have like some introspection and like think like how much do I value like um, my money or, or this job or this opportunity or how am I actually using that to, you know, to serve, serve God and serve, you know, ministries and to tithe and that kind of thing, to be faithful to God and to be a good steward. It's the thing we talked about in season one, you know, having faithful stewards and having, you know, Christ-centered people in different industries and in different places, just because you have a good job or just because you have like a well-paying job or you have money or anything of that, or you have lifestyle. doesn't mean that you're doing the wrong thing. It's all about how you're a good steward of it and how you're using it to glorify God and how if Christ calls you to, you know, share the gospel to your coworker or whatever, that you're doing that and you're being faithful through that. Exactly. This is so good. And I love how you uh, basically fleshed all that out for us because I think this is where people feel like, okay, Jesus is called to follow him. That's applicable for me, but this kingdom of God concept is very theological and it's not applicable. And these two things are integrated. You see in verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent means just to change and to go another way. And believe is to entrust oneself to. And so this idea of kingdom and the the reign of God arriving through God's person over God's place and dominion, like we talked about in the intro to Mark, is seen fl- uh, playing it is seen playing itself out in Jesus calling people to follow him, because through those people, as we see in the Book of Acts and in other places, when when Jesus ascends and the Spirit begins to indwell believers, 
then we see that God is continuing the kingdom even when Christ is gone and into today, that God uh, reigns through his servant king people over his place. And like Andre was talking about, whether that be with coworkers, or that be with your resources, or that be with your dreams, or that be with your family or anything. That's seeing that the reign of God is coming through us. So the kingdom of God is immensely practical. Yeah, that, that's really good, Mike. And before we like move on to what we kind of both agreed was the second half of Mark chapter 1, even though it's a little bit shorter, but you know, it definitely would be the second, the second half. Do you have anything else about the Jesus calling the disciples before we move on to the miracles? Yeah, I, I think that there's just one thing. You look at chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And the, the usual evangelistic style that we have to talk about the verse is just, oh, Jesus is calling them, they're going to follow him. And that's all very well and true. And at the same time, there's a tension or there's a there's another reality going on that's echoing the Old Testament. So in Jeremiah 16 and also in uh, Amos 3 or 4, I, th- I think as well. But in Jeremiah 16, is, that's a key text. And it, uh, Jeremiah, just like a lot of the other prophets, uh, prophesying about judgment and restoration and redemption and salvation. Uh, Jeremiah 16 God talking about his restoration of Israel and also his pronouncement of judgment. In verse 16, he says, I'm sending for many fishers and they shall catch them. I'll send for many hunters and they'll hunt them. And my eyes are on their ways and their iniquity is not concealed from my eyes. So there's also a sense in which this fishers of men is not just um, the disciples are going to pronounce salvation. They're also going to pronounce judgment with the kingdom and the day of the Lord comes judgment and comes mercy. And you see the disciples do both. You see them go to towns that reject them and they wipe the, they kick the dust off their feet and that's a sign of judgment in, in the biblical times. And then you see that they're, them, them caring for the widows or them caring for the lowly and the oppressed. So you see them uh, ushering in, just like the prophets would have been talking about, judgment and mercy. And this is their participation in the kingdom as they begin to follow Jesus. So let's look at those miracles you were talking about. Yeah, and the really cool thing about that, like we said, is these are really short and sweet. But there's a lot of really cool stuff that we could pull out of each one that ultimately all are going to point towards the end of Mark and uh, the crucifixion. So the first one is is the man with unclean spirit. So basically, th- this is like a kind of a case of, of demon possession. And as soon as they hear the, the demon hears the the unclean spirit, hears the voice of, of Christ, uh, he, he leaves uh, the body of the man. And then he has kind of a conversation with Jesus, which it seems to me that, you know, everyone else is, is unaware of. And then we see again, this, the same theme of, of Jesus telling him to be silent and not to tell others of, of this. So uh, let's start with this one. Let's start with the unclean spirit. If you have anything else, Mike. Yeah. So just like we were saying this hidden identity of Jesus, it's really important. And it's part of the unfolding of Mark's gospel and just how Jesus does his ministry that he is going to do things and then say, don't, don't share my identity because like we've said before, he didn't want to raise up false messianic expectations to get into political trouble with Rome. Like, are you starting a revolution? Well, he was, but they didn't expect that the revolution would come through victory on a, on a cross and a resurrection three days uh, past. But thinking about, and we're going to talk about this more and more as we continue to go through chapter one, this authority of Jesus is just so distinct. There's a prophetic word to Jesus's way that there there's an authority there that's nowhere else and we're going to see that with we saw that with him speaking and telling the disciples to follow him we see that with him healing people we see that with his preaching especially in verses 35 to 39 and we see that 
with the leper. So there's just so many times when you see Jesus addressing with authority and words that were unlike any around him. And it's actually interesting um, that there's so many humans there that cannot correctly identify him, but the demons can. I know who you are, the Holy One of God, and Jesus rebukes him because he doesn't want his identity out. But the 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 ones that are actually sometimes onto the case of Jesus or know who Jesus is are the ones that uh, are the demons that he is seeking to cast out. And this is, again, this whole idea, this healing idea is the same picture in Isaiah, the, that the kingdom is coming when the, the, the eyes of the blind are opened and the people are healed and justice is restored. This is the whole picture in Isaiah. This is the whole coming of the kingdom. The, the miracles and the healing are necessary to the authentication of that. And I have, I think, two more points, uh, and you know, feel free to add on after that before we move on to, to uh, Jesus healing uh, other people from sicknesses. But I think another point about Jesus' conversation with, with the demon that's very interesting is, is when the demon says, have you come to destroy us? Because, you know, that's kind of a lot of this stuff is, is looking back to Isaiah, looking back to, to different passages of the Old Testament. This is kind of looking forward to, you know, Revelation and the prophecy of how God is going to restore everything in the end. And it's really interesting to me. I think it's something that we can, you know, put a lot of, of faith in and have a lot of, you know, comfort in that, you know, the demons are afraid of Jesus. So, you know, how much more, you know, confidence should we have that, that, you know, Jesus is going to like, like he's going to overcome death here, but then he's also going to, you know, put Satan in his place, you know? And, you know, I think that's something that we could just really like hold on to and just have a lot of, like a lot of like, um, faith and just like happiness and hope in. And then the second thing that I wanted to add, uh, was about how, again, about how he, he told them not to tell anybody. And I thought that was interesting because I think Jesus, he does speak in parables and especially to the disciples, he explains the parables and they still have the confusion, but you know, Peter gets it right, which means that, you know, the information is there, which they need to, you know, make those connections. But the timing of them making, you know, of the crowds making these connections, you know, it's, it's not there yet. If there was a, just like a political revolution where, you know, the people are just trying to like overthrow the government, it wouldn't be accomplishing what, what, you know, Jesus is here for, for his purpose. It would just be accomplishing, you know, having a political revolution, which is, which is not the, the goal. It's not, it's not what's, what's going on here. It's not what's most important, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I really agree with that. That's not what Jesus is doing here, but what Jesus is doing is uh, expanding this kingdom and expanding God's reign and ushering it in like we've been talking about and what you've been talking about, how that's that's our hope because that's going to be consummated one day. So now we look and Jesus is going to heal many. He leaves the synagogue. He goes to Simon Peter's house with Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Simon, I mean Peter. And he heals Peter's mother-in-law and the fever leaves her. She begins to serve them. And then basically this whole community of sick people and people that are uh, demon possessed come to him and he, he heals uh, just a ton of people. And so I think one of the things we can think is like, where are the demon possessed people today? All these people like that just seems so unrelatable. And I think one thing that you have there is the change in worldview that's happened since uh, 2000 years ago and what we have today. So you think then you have a very supernatural worldview. Uh, the Romans basically thought that everything was a God or a goddess. Um, they, it was very polytheistic. 
that even when Christians were persecuted, sometimes they were called atheists because if you believe in millions of gods or something, and Christians believe in one, you could see how Christians would basically be an atheist, would be atheists to you. Um, so they have a very supernatural worldview. Even uh, Jews were in 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 that cultural context, so a very supernatural worldview. Since the Enlightenment, we've had a very uh, secularized and natural worldview that's dominated by how does science help us explain things, and it's not a supernatural worldview. So you can see how the way today that Satan is the most effective is to not draw attention to himself. That the the reality of there being demon possession would draw attention to the supernatural, and the way that Satan has accomplished, or the way that Satan has pushed for darkness in in this. Um, in this age that's awaiting final consummation is the fact that there there's darkness that's that's not visible we're not seeing as much demon possession because we don't satan isn't probably anyways trying to elevate the reality of there being supernatural since secularized natural worldview thinking is so prevalent you know just the kind of like i think the atheist worldview kind of satan can accomplish you know what he wants to accomplish through that like equally as, as equally as effective, I guess that way. I don't really have anything else about that section, but looking forward to uh, as Jesus preaches in Galilee, you know, I thought it was really interesting how, you know, he he went out to just like a really just private, so it's a desolate place, and he just prayed. And I thought that was really interesting how he he went out and did all these miracles. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick, and then you know he takes a second and you know, he goes out to a place where he can be alone and he prays to the Father. Yeah, I think that we often want to pray like when we feel disconnected or far from God and yet Jesus was casting out demons. He had to feel close to the Father and yet he took the time to go out and to pray and the the word there for the desolate place, Eremos, I hope I pronounced it right, but him going out to that place to pray, like if Jesus needed it, how much more do we? And there's not. It's not that there is like a prescribed like, oh, there is something holy about the morning that's not prevalent at other times. But Jesus so much so often uses the morning, and I do think there is something special or distinct about the morning. Just getting up and uh, starting your day before the Lord, and that's what Jesus is doing. Just praying to the Father, spending time in a desolate place, even though. Uh, Marcus is certainly not just trying to spend a bunch of time talking about Jesus praying and being in desolate places the whole time. He does mention it several times, and I think it's a really integral piece of the story because we just get to see Jesus alone with the Father and basically where he maybe felt the most natural or uh, just the most comfortable. You know, one thing that I just, you know, literally just thought of is it says Simon and those who are with him search for him, and, you know, like they're kind of, they seem kind of like anxious to figure out where he is. And like one thing you told me was like the, the differences between you know, the, the crowds and the disciples and like, you know, searching for Jesus versus, you know, following after Jesus. It's really interesting how the disciples, you know, they, they kind of stumble in this and they kind of turn into more of being like the crowds and not following after Jesus. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, th- in this specific instance that that kind of took place there. Yeah. Mark doesn't per- portray crowds very positively. Usually the crowds are seen to be quote, seeking after Jesus. And although today we think that that sounds good, oh, you're seeking after God, um, in the gospel account, it, it, it's not used in the same tone as following or submitting to. So the crowds and the way that they're searching for him then is portrayed more negatively. Everyone's looking for you. Jesus seems 
completely unconcerned that everyone is looking for them and says, let's just go to the next town. That's why I'm here. I'm here to preach. So they continues to go throughout Galilee and he preaches the word and he casts out demons, the spiritual and the physical addressing both needs at once as he pushes forward the kingdom. Yeah. Mark just has like so much great stuff in it, even in chapter one. Oh, it's so good that, you know, you know, just for the sake of like not going so much over of the, you know, the time we kind of had a lot for this episode. Um, my biggest point for, you know, from verse 40 to the end of the chapter is just how we see how Jesus has authority over, um, sickness, over, uh, demons. He has authority over our hearts. Um, and now we're going to get to see how he has authority over death. You know, I just think that's so great how he has authority over all of these things. And it just gives me like so much hope and like so much admiration, so much awe towards God. And, and, you know, I just think it's super great to see like all these miracles just back to back to back in Mark. Yeah, I definitely agree because I want to just point out one more thing. It's so easy for me to like be reading Mark 1, Mark 2, whichever chapter, even if I'm spending more time thinking about Elijah and his his prophetic authority or just anybody else. I I really like thinking about the authority of God's word. But I don't it's it's so easy to miss cuz there's just a couple words but verse 41 here, moved with pity. So this same son of God with the proclamatory power over uh, sin and death and uh, demon possession and, and all this different stuff is the same one here who's just moved with compassion for people and touches a leper and and this is this is almost scandalous like the grace that Jesus shows is scandalous because this would have made him in Jewish ceremonial law unclean but Jesus enters into this space and moves with compassion for people. So the same son of God who has royal kingdom authority over all things is moved with compassion towards one person and in a manner that would have been judged as unclean, touches the man and heals him. And I think that is awesome. And, you know, just last thing and really quickly, I know you, you wanted to like give a little bit about leprosy itself. Um, and then I guess that's that's kind of the end of of. Uh, this episode after that yeah just leprosy was widespread and it it was often regarded as a divine punishment sometimes in the old testament and it made you just a complete outcast but but jesus's actions made him an outcast one he was disliked by a majority of people and then he he also became famous to enough people where he had to go to desolate places a lot but jesus is entering like i've been saying into this uh He's been displaying this grace by approaching this man. So rather than uh, approaching him in a way that most people, just based on the tone of some Old Testament passages, might have been thinking, oh, like this is unclean. He should be separated from his family, from his, from the people around him, from his community, from, from the rituals of Israel. And instead, Jesus walks in and talks kindly to this man. Most people might not have even talked to him. And we see here that the kingdom that's arriving in Mark is a kingdom like it shouldn't have been expected. And so Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God and we see his authority of words that speak both judgment and mercy. And by following this Jesus, we're being prepared as heirs and we're called to be Christ-like and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, Paul says in Ephesians, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And that's what Jesus did. That's really good, Mike. We're excited to get more into Mark with you guys. And we hope you enjoyed the discussion. Hi, everyone. This is Michael editing this episode the day before it releases. 
Here's an inside look to some behind-the-scenes mess-ups before we begin the episode you just heard. Hey, Radically Normal. This is Andre. I'm here with Mike. Wait, hold on. The people aren't Radically Normal. Yeah, they are. They're following. We call them Radically Normal. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Radically Normal. <laughs> we, we need a nickname for our, for our audience. Yeah. Okay, we'll dream about that in the podcast. Let's just start talking. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone, and join us Thursday for our first interview of this season.